What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Two Bucks Sports Podcast, coming to you live on Wednesday night, our normal night of recording. All is right in the world. No truck issues, no bad weather. We are here. We are in this thing. What's up, Drew? Welcome to the podcast, sir. No sisters. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Oh, man. It is a beautiful day in North Mississippi. Uh, It has been overcast, high 70s. It's been the perfect day to work way too hard and come home way too tired. And so, but nothing will keep us from having this podcast on Wednesday nights outside of family. So we're here. And we're in good spirits, and we've got a lot of baseball to talk about. We've watched a ton of college baseball uh, the last week uh, since Omaha's been going on. And the NBA draft is tomorrow night, so I've got some thoughts on that, particularly pertaining to the Grizzlies. So we'll get into all of it. And so we will, uh, or we, I will turn this over to (laughs) the conductor of this podcast, and he will tell us where we're starting. Yeah, little did I know we were starting this podcast that sound engineer and conductor and host would would fill out my job resume when, meanwhile, you just get to be the personality and the looks around here. <laughs> and that's the way it should be. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, man, it's been hot up here in South Carolina. Summer's got here. Today is the longest day of the year. Officially, first day of summer with the summer solstice and humidity is here. The heat is here. But, you know, I spent all day Saturday on the beach, so life isn't too bad. Right now. Yeah, I don't really want to hear you complain about heat and humidity when you can take a 20-minute drive east and hit the Atlantic Ocean. So I just don't – I don't really care to hear about your hard times. Yeah, I don't mean to brag, but it's probably like a five-minute drive. <laughs> well, you've moved since the last time I was out there, so I don't – I didn't really know. Yeah, five minutes away. It's nice. Actually, uh, I'm getting into walking a little bit more in the evenings just as a way to decompress and walk off. Oh, my goodness. You are getting so old. Tell me about it. I knew that was coming. (laughs) I knew that was coming when I mentioned it. But my three mile loop in my with my walker and my cane goes by the ocean. So it's kind of a nice way to end the evening. That's for sure. Yeah, just carry uh, stuff your pockets full of salami for all the rabid dogs and bears (laughs) that are out there. Yeah, I got all my peppermints in one pocket and my handkerchief in the other, and I go off for a walk. Yeah, got you a big <laughs> stick to to beat off all the dogs with. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> all right, so a lot of sports are happening this week, and we got a lot of baseball, a lot of basketball to talk about, but we'll start with – I found this interesting. There's this phenom for the Cincinnati Reds. Everybody's heard of him, Ellie Dela Cruz, who's just this speed demon on the bases, man. My guy legged out an infield single to the first baseman the other night with a head first slide in. I mean, just incredible base path speed. It's wild how quick that guy is. But have you seen a lot of the story about the BLA, this company that loans minor league players money? Have you seen much about that? I have. Uh, I saw the story that you're referring to where basically – You've got a shark tank for young international baseball players where they give you upfront money for a percentage of future earnings. And um, I don't know. It seems kind of slimy. But when I read about it, I, I kind of started feeling like it wasn't as slimy as I thought it was. It sounds awful. It does. It sounds like we're going to we're going to get with these international players who are coming from nothing about to walk into some stupid cash and let's give them some money and see, you know, up front and then we'll take some of their, their cash back. So basically what they do is they give them upfront money for minor leagues. Cause minor leagues don't make a ton of money. They play a ton of baseball. They're on the road all the time. They don't really get paid very well, but what they do is they give upfront funding with 
the stipulation that they'll get a percentage of their lifetime contracts. If the player gets hurt, doesn't pan out, things don't work out, whatever the case may be, they don't owe them a dime. But what they're banking on is these kids to be the next Fernando Tatis or insert, you know, Caribbean baseball player here that's going to take off and be the next phenom because what they'll do is they'll get that money. And so a typical deal would look like, you know, the athlete would receive, let's say, $350,000 is what I'm seeing in the story. And then the BLA is guaranteed 8% of their future earnings. Again, it's not earnings. Again, it's not a loan. It's money up front that if they don't make the league, they don't have to pay back. So I feel a little bit better about that. Yeah, that was the snippet that I read that made me feel like, okay, there's some risk in this for for the investors as well. You know, you don't want all the risk to be on the player because if they've got to pay back all the money that they are owed, you know, it's not a loan, like you said. So they don't have to pay back the, say, $300,000 that they were given as a 17-year-old kid in the Dominican. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to pay that back. But from that point forward, you get X percent. So what they've done is they've basically just sprayed the board with foreign kids. And if you think about where a lot of these kids come from in Dominican and Puerto Rico and uh, South America and Cuba, especially these kids probably don't have anything. And you got to think, I know Tatis is kind of upset about having to owe them $27 million now out of his what 200 something million dollar contract 40 million dollar contract 340 million dollar contract he's kind of gripping about owing them 27 million dollars but i kind of have an argument that says without that upfront money that he got when he was a kid now well let me just finish uh, uh without that upfront money you know he was able to because of that money he was able to hire a trainer and a chef and he was able to get his body prepared to be a major league baseball player and there's an argument to be made that without that money he may not have panned out he may have been one that may have been what took him to the next step in the minor league system fernando tatis himself may not be the best example because he is he is the son of fernando tatis who was a long time big league baseball player you know one of my favorite childhood memories is watching Fernando Tatis hit two grand slams in the same inning against the, for the Cardinals. So, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I think it's a, a decent thing and I think you probably shouldn't gripe about it. I mean, what other kind of yeah. ventures, you know, only ask for 8% when handing you six figure check, you know? Yeah. You know, they've raised nearly $250 million to give to these kids, and, and the Tatis deal will cover. So that $27.2 million that Tatis owes them will pay back the entire fund, and the other 76 players BLA invested in are just gravy on top. So, like, Tatis' money makes up all of their startup capital. They've raised a bunch right. since then. And so Tatis' one deal will help this company help other kids for a long time. And it makes them profitable, you know, because I'm sure they raised a ton of money. And that's what all that venture debt is or, you know, that was invested by outside investors. What they've done is basically what a ton of sports bettors do is they just spray the board with every possible outcome. And, you know, you may go 50-50 in all these, but you may hit one big, you know, one huge long shot makes all your money back. That's what you make all your money on is the one long shot that hits. So. Right. 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, betting on so far, they're two for two. I mean, De La Cruz looks like a generational talent. Tatis has had a great career, nothing else. He's the swag, the face of baseball in a lot of young kids' eyes. So they're hitting on some pretty big players. And like you said, helping them when they need it the most, the most vulnerable time when they're in the minors and trying to make their way to the big leagues. And speaking of Ellie De La Cruz, just a little further, he's been in the big leagues on a roster for the Reds for 14 games. They're 12 and two and currently on a 10 game win streak. Yeah. So he, I, mean, I was fun to watch. I was watching an interview on uh, SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt the other night after the baseball game, and they interviewed Joey Votto, and it was his first game back for a year, basically, after a shoulder surgery. And he was talking about coming back, and he was just like, you know, I'm the old head now, and this team is full of young guys with lots of swagger. And Joey Votto, one of the all-time greats when it comes to just bat on the ball, yeah. he, former MVP, he was scared he was going to mess up the swagger by being the old guy that they put back in the lineup. Yeah. He's just like, I'm just trying to keep up with the young guys. You know, they've got a ton of swag. And it all starts with De La Cruz. Speaking of Joey Votto, I saw this today. The current Reds payroll is wild. Joey Votto is the top played, top paid Reds player at $25 million. Second is Mike Moustakas, who's designated for assignment. Third, Will Myers, designated for assignment. Fourth is King Griffey Jr., who has not played a baseball oh game since 2010. Fifth is Kevin Newman, who's on the roster. Luis Sessa, who's a des- designated for a assignment. And then Kurt Caselli is the seventh highest paid. So three out of their top seven are on a major league roster. The other four are either retired or designated for an assignment. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of my beef with baseball. I have kind of feel like I'm, I've lost touch with baseball. You know, growing up as a kid, all I did was watch Sports Center and baseball highlights and basketball highlights and just any highlight. You know, the only thing I would turn off was hockey, you know, yeah. when what's his name? Uh, what was the old ESPN hockey guy that they oh, had? Uh, Barry Melrose. Mel Rose with yeah. the slick when, back hair. Yeah. When he would come on, I would go use the bathroom or whatever. But everything <laughs> else I was addicted to. And baseball in particular, I felt like I knew everybody. And I can't go through a lineup these days and feel confident about knowing 40% of baseball players. We could do a whole episode on how Major League Baseball has poorly handled their brand, their image, and their their sharehold of sports fans under Rob Manfred, but we'll save that for another episode. Well, um, I've, I've, been on, I've been on record on this podcast saying how they've done a poor job, and they need to pump all the money and video, you know, pump everything into guys like De La Cruz mm-hmm. or um, Tatis, you know, all mm-hmm. those young guys that's got a lot of swag. The, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Wander Franco. Yeah. Him, incredible. <laughs> yeah. Who's th- and, flicking the ball up, catching it, yeah. throwing guys out. I'm here for that, man. Fun. Have you and then seen the, the, the cheeseburger up in New York playing for the Mets? My guy's an absolute unit. Uh, uh, Vogelbach. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So have you seen. This Luis Arez, Arez. Have you heard of him? Okay, let me so. let me tell you about this fellow. He is playing for the Miami Marlins. About a week ago, or I guess it's about three games ago, he had a five for five game and just hitting the cover off the ball. And the stat line across the bottom says it takes him to over four hundred batting average for the year. And so I was like, oh, that's pretty sweet. 
Yeah. And then a couple days later, I'm watching college baseball again. And he goes five for five again. <laughs> and so he has went, he has had five hit games three times this season. And it's rarely ever happened again. So currently right now, uh, he is batting, uh, he's batting 398 right now with yeah. two home runs, 31 RBIs, uh, on base percentage of 448, just ripping singles, basically. Just, he cannot, you cannot keep him off the plate. Yeah, off the that's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, and, and young guys like that are what the game needs to reignite interest, you know, the especially when you got guys like Trout and Shohei playing well on the West Coast, so we don't see a ton, but. Um, that, that young swagger, and there's a ton coming up. If you've been watching any of the College World Series like Drew and I have, you'll see the Dylan Cruz, the Jack Caglionis, the Paul Skeens. There are some great personalities coming up in baseball that are going to be fun to watch for years to come. Speaking of that, though, uh, of different personalities, what about your boy David Freeze? I was curious your thoughts on, on uh, David Freeze, longtime Cardinal, grew up in St. Louis, big Cardinals fan growing up. World Series hero, just an, an etched in Cardinal lore forever, was inducted into the Cardinals Ring of Fame to get the red jacket, a very, very high honor, and he turned it down. Yeah, to me, it just seems like you're just trying to be too aware of your career. I mean, so this is not the Hall of Fame, so... Mm -hmm. David Freeze, Game 6, 2011 World Series against at home against the uh, Texas Rangers. Hits a bases-clearing double to tie it and then a walk-off home run in the 11th inning to win it. And then we, come, we go and win Game 7, and we win the World Series title. It's the World Series MVP. Anytime that a player earns a World Series MVP for a team, he deserves to be enshrined in their ring of honor or Hall of Fame, whatever you want to call it. This is team-specific. It's not career-specific. And what he did in that one game in, for the St. Louis Cardinals is legendary. Yeah. He will forever be a Cardinals legend. And no, he was not. He did not have a great career. He did not have a great career post Cardinals. It's not like he, he had went a to Pittsburgh and didn't do anything. Yeah, it's like it's not like he went to Pittsburgh and and ended up an All Star and he wants to be remembered as a Pirate. No, nah, he he just was an average player at best who had an incredible run in a World Series. And so, you know, Cardinals. The Cardinals have a bad rap, and they've got kind of a personality that's hard to love sometimes when it comes to the Cardinal way and being about it the right going every you want to go about everything the right way and carry yourself with class and dignity and and be low profile and you know just care about baseball and be a robot basically uh the cardinal has never really had any swagger to them at all and so what this was is a guy that was kind of raised up as a cardinals fan seeing that and so he has the honor and but because of that mindset that he has and going about things the quote-unquote cardinal way, he looks at his career as a cardinal, and he's like, I'm not worthy to be in the ring of honor with Scott Rowland and Bob Gibson and 
Stan Musial. Like, I'm not one of those guys. But I'm going to tell you something. As a guy who is now in his 30s, grew up loving Cardinals baseball, he is one of the first Cardinals that I will list. If you tell me to name 10 Cardinals, David Freeze, because of that World Series, will be in the pantheon of greatest Cardinals of all time because of that. And that's enough. So get out of your own way. Accept your prize. It's something I tell my wife all the time when I say, honey, you look great today. And she just kind of rolls her eyes. And I just look at her and I say, just take the compliment. Yeah. That's what I want to say to David Freeze. Take the compliment. This is an honor that is bestowed upon few people that wear the St. Louis Cardinals uniform or any uniform. Yeah. And it feels, it just feels extra. Like it feels like a reach where he's just trying to be extra humble and be extra uh, aware. Like you said earlier, it's just like you did an amazing thing. Right. It's the same thing. Like Albert Pujols, there's that one red chair in right field at, at the AutoZone, at AutoZone Park in Memphis where he hit that home run when he was a Redbird. Like, there are moments that are enshrined. And even I remember the walk-off home run in, game, in the 11th inning, and, and I'm not a Cardinal fan. And so take the honor, understand what you mean to this fan base as, as a, a Cardinal legend. You can be humble in it and say that in your acceptance speech, but just take the honor, man. It's like if the Yankees wanted to honor Aaron Boone as a player – when he really didn't do anything other than that game seven walk-off against Boston. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that game because of yep. the Aaron Boone walk-off. Yep. And if they wanted to honor Aaron Boone because of that, me as a as a non-fan of the New York Yankees, just ambivalent to them altogether, you know, I'm a yep. fan of a different team, I'd have no problem with that because as a Cardinals fan, I know exactly that play. Yep. And that is forever. It's the same thing, you know, if Carlton Davis – Mm-hmm. if Auburn wanted to honor Carlton Davis for the kick six, like Carlton Davis turned out to be nothing in the grand scheme of things, but the kick yeah. six was incredible. Legendary. Yeah. Yeah, so, and absolutely. And people who are baseball fans will remember David Freeze because of, what, because of what he did in that 11 World Series. And so just take the honor. Get your jacket, get your name up there, whatever. Just be done. It just yeah. feels accurate to me. Nobody, nobody's saying you're, you know, Sam Musial or Bob no, Gibson or Albert yeah, Pujols. No, yeah. But we're saying what you did for us that one October night was legendary and we'll remember it forever and we want to put your number, you put your name in the little legends clubhouse they've got up there at Bush Stadium. Yeah, cool. I, I, just, I don't get it. It felt, it, it didn't sit it real well with me. Nah. So. Speaking of not sitting well, uh, we have a fond farewell to send to one Bob Huggins. Uh, what was a great college basketball coach, you know, those West Virginia teams started defending you when you got off the bus, and they were known for being tenacious and great defense and a team you just really didn't want to play, much like the grit and grind Grizz, because they were going to beat you up for two halves and beat you down in the mud. And then, yeah, so and then far, they're going to win like 44 to 41. That's it. That's what I'm saying. Get you in the mud, and neither team's going to break 50. And it's not going to be fun basketball to watch, except for basketball purists who understand the gravity of what's happening with that defensive play. So earlier this year, he was suspended and got in some hot water for some comments that he made. Um, You can look those up. You want to know exactly what they were. But he made some some pretty hard-to-swallow comments and got in trouble with the university and the media at large and kind of went underground for a little bit, only to resurface this past week 
catching a DUI where his blood alcohol content was well over the limit, thought he was in Columbus, Ohio, and had a front seat full of fallen soldiers that he had been consuming while driving through the West Virginia <laughs> mountain roads. Yeah, could you see this ending any other way? No. No, not I really. I mean, Bob Huggins is like my generation's Bob Knight. You know, he was like a villain. He he kind of prowled the sidelines and scowled and cussed and spit. And you always hated going against him because his teams had a personality, and that personality was just Chip ferocious. on the shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And so basketball is going to miss him because I do believe that Bob Huggins as a character was good for basketball in the same way, you know, that there are villains in every sport. You know, it's the guys that you, every sport needs a villain and they need a change of pace. That's what I loved about the Grizzlies is that everybody was zigging and they were zagging, you know? Yeah. And so they, we were going to be the change up that you got to hit after you've been swinging at fastballs on. Weekend, that game you know? was always circled because you knew you were going to get beat up for four quarters. And it was the same right. thing, Bob Huggins, Cincinnati, or West Virginia teams. You knew you were going to get beat up in those yeah. games. Pack a lunch, you know, because yeah. we were going to be here a while. Yeah. And so, yeah, guys like him, though, they don't bow out gracefully. They they crash and burn. Yeah. And it sucks. But, you know, I it's sad to say, but it was well within the range of possibilities for yeah. an old guy like him that – you know, he wasn't one that was going to change with the times. He was, he's an, he's a dinosaur, you know, and he was a heck of a basketball coach, but he was not going to, uh, play the PC card and going to do things the right way for public image. Bob Huggins right. was going to be Bob Huggins and Bob Huggins liked to slam a few brewskis while driving down the interstate. <laughs> so did you West Virginia, if you're listening to me, Gordon Gee, the athletic director of West Virginia, just go hire Bob Huggins is next in line. <laughs> One, Andy Kennedy, a <laughs> disciple of Bob Huggins, took UAB to the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, he soured at Ole Miss, but he's a solid basketball coach, and he is so much fun to root for because he is an idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think they're going to want somebody with a little less – Idiotic yeah. tendencies now that Bob Huggins has gone about his way, but wishing but see, the best. I think that's a mistake. Yeah, I think I think West Virginia, where it's located, not close to anything. You know, I'm sure there's not a wealth of basketball talent in West Virginia. You need something to set you apart. You need the way that he went to go recruit players based on grit. He needed that guy because. West Virginia was never your top school to choose from, but West Virginia believed in the kid that nobody else believed in, and they were able to harness that mindset and make them ferocious. And I feel like you need to hire somebody with that same kind of edge. The guy that takes West over West Virginia and makes them vanilla will fail. Yeah, and that's what this was wild. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Rich Rod like, was the same way. Yeah, at the yeah. same college. Bob Huggins had a top three transfer portal class. He had like the, the the number two shooting guard coming in. He had these big time transfers coming into West Virginia. So you need to make a good hire because you got all these kids that are coming. And if you they're don't gone. get the right hire, they're gone. You know what I'm they're saying? Most of, them, most of them probably are anyway. You're right. Yeah. But 
Like he had gone out and worked this transfer portal, got these studs coming in, and West Virginia was fixing to be a good basketball team if they could get it all together with these transfers. And now Bob Huggins is gone. So you're going to need to find somebody that can at least keep one or two of those guys because otherwise, like you said, they're all gone. Right. And I mean, they were a good team anyways. You know, they were the team that was ne- that was always a tough out. You know, they made it to the tournament again this year. Yep. I want to say they were maybe a five seed or four seed, were, something like that. They were like a five or seven. Seed. They were definitely okay. like mid, like upper top ten seeds. But right, um, they were again. They were that team that you always looked up, and there they were. You know, they were right. winning a ton of games. You know, they would have a showing in the Big Twelve tournament. They would upset some of. They'd always beat a Kansas or a Kansas State or a Texas every year, and they'd have that one game. It's like, man, there's West Virginia. Oh, shoot, they're 17th. I didn't know they were right. Right. <laughs> right. And it's because of Bob Huggins and his tenacity there. But sad tale for the Huggy Bear of the mountains of West Virginia. Yeah. Pour, pour one out for Bob Huggins. <laughs> <laughs> but not not while you're driving. Friends of yeah. the podcast, do not drink and drive. <laughs> yeah. If you're ever in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and get pulled over and think you're in Columbus, Ohio, you're in bad, <laughs> bad shape. Yeah. Bad shape. So. But we'll stick with basketball for a little bit. There's been a lot of trade rumors, trade happenings in the NBA now that the season's over. NBA draft is tomorrow night. I saw one, and it'll never happen in a million years. So I'm going to go ahead and qualify that. But a couple of the talking heads were mentioning, and I believe Woj on ESPN was one of the ones that kind of mentioned it in passing, that if the Golden State Warriors and Draymond Green, winner of the inaugural most punchable face in sports poll that we did a few weeks back. If they were unable to come to an agreement on the contract, that he would be looking for a new team. And what better team for him to go be a veteran leader who will look at these superstars, call them out for not playing up to Stanford standard, punch them in the face in practice if needed than the Memphis Grizzlies, according to some sources thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I've eaten my words a lot of times when I say that I'll never root for somebody, but I've never mm-hmm. felt for it as strongly as I would if Draymond Green were to become a Memphis Grizzly. I know the end outcome is that I would love him, but I just can't see it right now. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense for a couple reasons. Uh, one, I think he would play well with, with Jaron. He kind of can set the table, jaws out for 25 games, and he's not a center in the old school version of it. He's he's a facilitator from a five spot, you know, and he is easily a top five defender in the NBA. He's a guy that his teammates outside of Jordan Poole would go to war for, mm-hmm. and he could really command, be a commanding presence in the locker room, like you said, when you're dealing with your superstars that aren't quite staying in line and I think he'd be a good voice for that however I don't really see it working because he just designed a he just declined a 27 million dollar player option and I know that was just for one year and he would enter you know he's he's probably would rather have years rather than money right now but you bring Draymond Green in and he's going to start so if you bring Draymond Green in, you have to send out Steven Adams. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the most infamous player that I have learned to love 
Yeah. After once hated. And let me tell you, I did a complete 180 on Steven Adams. I'd take a bullet for Steven Adams. And yeah. so I really, it would really stink. I think it would be good for the Grizzlies. I had a buddy of mine say, would, you know, would Draymond Green be good with coming off the bench? Well, he's not coming off the bench. So that if the Grizzlies want him to come off the bench, then just don't even make the phone call. Right. And that, that's what I was going to say earlier. I had that same conversation this week of I I hate guys until they put on that Beale Street Blue. And I right. am diehard Beale Street Blue. And when you put that on, I think of Steven Adams. I hated Steven Adams, man. After he sack-tapped Zebo and then got punched in the head and got Zebo suspended, couldn't stand him because he was a goon his first of his career. Matt Barnes, couldn't stand Matt Barnes. He was a just a villain. Zebo was a villain. T.A. were these guys that just were outcasts. But when they become one of yours – the, 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 you're my villain. You're right. my bully. I, same. I, I I went to the carpet for Dylan Brooks time and time again, and <clears throat> would do the same for the Nutcracker Drayvon Green himself. Yeah. Uh, what but would be fitting? Yeah. What would be fitting though is if you trade Stephen Adams for Draymond Green, and then you know because Draymond Green got suspended for he's punched he's kicked Stephen Adams in the nuts several times several times there's no love lost between those two no uh and it's not even while Stephen Adams was a grizzly this was all Oklahoma City Stephen Adams mm-hmm. uh in those playoff wars he constantly got kicked in the nards by Draymond and yeah. so it would almost be poetic a little bit to to trade the guy that we once hated and grew to love for another guy that we hate even more Mm-hmm. And then those guys also hate each other, you know, and then, you know, put Dylan Brooks in the put Dylan Brooks in the trade, too. And then next year in the playoffs, we'll have Draymond Green and they'll have Dylan Brooks and Steven Adams. It would it'd be weird, man. <laughs> That'd be some poetic justice on some weird level. But I, I feel like that's like the final stage to start unsealing the scrolls and Armageddon. Happen yeah. if We get that kind of a trade. But. I was just curious about your thoughts about that. We do have some other trade rumors involving the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Tyus Jones posted today, Wednesday, June 21st, on his Instagram story, a picture of him in a Grizzlies uniform with a black heart. There's been a lot of speculation. I'm sorry. Uh, I've got to stop you. People, athletes these days are (laughs) so cryptic. And I don't know if they are being cryptic and borderline evil or, you know, or if – fans and media just like eat this stuff up and it means nothing like oh you're telling me the guy that plays basketball for the memphis grizzlies for the last three years posted a picture on his instagram wearing a grizzlies jersey and i'm supposed to think like a deal's being done (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) dude grizz twitter blew up does the black heart mean the nets does that mean he's going to the nets for dfs or or mikhail bridges is is that black heart the kings are we going after somebody like there's so many wild rumors with it my man may end up in Milwaukee. Like, there's nothing you know, to do. <laughs> and I saw the picture, and I think I kind of – I think there's obviously smoke there. There's been smoke there for a while, and it seemed yeah. to – his name actually started getting tossed around the last couple of days. So I think I would almost be surprised if he's a Grizzly on Friday morning. Yeah, but, I, I don't think it'll but happen. But to, to, to stake every my opinion on an Instagram post is just <laughs> baffles me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. You know, there's a lot of people going to bat for 
keeping him because we're going to lose Ja for 25 games. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just 25 games. Tyus means more to us than a trade than he does. Coming off the bench is the highest paid backup point guard in the league. And it's time that's for him to go a, get some starter such a, minutes. That's such an, like an entitled thing to say, too. Because to say that Tyus Jones is worth more to us as a trade yeah, package right now, when literally without him – we would be nothing due to jaw injuries the last two during, years during the regular season. I understand. And I've said on this podcast where you've got to start making moves for postseason players. Because you see what and, happens. The heat, the heat of the perfect example. They, yeah, they play and, with the playoffs in mind. We have to trade with the playoffs in mind. And that's why I'm okay with trading ties, but I, it's just something about the phrase that, saying that Tyus Jones is worth more as an asset for a trade than a backup point guard. I just wholeheartedly, I can't get behind it because without him, you know, two years ago we were the two seed and what were we like 24 and two with him in the starting lineup without John? Like it's a stupid record. Like, when he's, he's on the court he deserves, in the regular season, he's a walking triple double. A walking triple double. And he he has fa- fallen short in the playoffs. And ultimately, I think if nothing else, if if you don't see yourself playing, you know, paying him and furthering out his contract, then do right by him and make him a starter. That that's that's a better reason to trade ties to me than to say like, oh, we could really just use the. 40th pick of the draft and a wing, you know, like do right by Tyus, you know, just like you did right by Mike, yeah. you know, when, when they shipped Conley to, to Utah, you know? Yeah, I agree. Send him somewhere in a good situation and, and that's no nothing. I love Tyus Jones. I'll always be a fan of stones and absolutely won some monster games for us. And he'll be one much like Courtney Lee was for me, like one of those role players that I'll root for the rest of their career because they did good things for us and they were a great Great Grizzly, and and I'm you know certainly miss seeing him out there, but just so steady. Him. Yeah, I mean, so it, in the regular season you could count on him, and then right. but he was just a notorious no show in the playoffs. In the yeah. biggest moments, man, he would have he had an o he was o for eleven in this year in the playoffs one game. Just like, yeah, but I think I think that comes with a limited so role too. The the rotation, the bench guys short. get so fewer minutes in the sure. playoffs, and he just never quite adapted. If he was the starter in a playoff game like he was in uh two years ago when John missed the first two games of the second round or the game two and three of the second round. Yeah, he was great. But you got to like, when you look at the playoffs, especially after you see a guy like what Rui Hashimura did this year off the bench. Yeah, like, you oh, I agree. Like we that. need it. We need that. Or yeah. you need the Ty Jones who may or may not get you a good game. He needs to start in order to have a good game. I, I'm, I'm we, with you. We we need to win, and I'm with you. I love him to death, and we need some help. Yeah, we just need some help at more critical positions, and he's right. got to, he's 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 the backup. Yeah, and, and we'll get more into the Grizzlies in just a minute. We talk about the draft. One other big trade news coming out this week that we definitely have to talk about. Speaking of of, of trying to address some needs, the Phoenix Suns are going hard after Bradley Beal. And they're trying to add in a couple more teams just to sweeten the deal because if David Stern had been the NBA commissioner for this trade, he'd have vetoed that thing in a heartbeat, much like he did Chris Paul trying to go to L.A. back in the day. A little bit one-sided trade, Bradley Beal going to Phoenix, which is funny because Phoenix would then have um, 
four players, they've had four contracts that put them over the luxury tax uh, in Bradley Beal, DeAndre Ayton, who won't be there anymore, Katie and Book. Those four guys would put them over the luxury tax just them. That didn't include anybody else. And so there's going to have to be some work done. There's got to be some shifting of some salaries. We know DeAndre Ayton's gone, but that's not going to clear up enough room to get the role players. Chris Paul is an interesting piece to that because as of right now, it looks like he's going to be a Washington wizard, which could happen to a nicer guy. It is well documented on this podcast that he is the number one athlete of all time that I despise. But it's going to be curious to see what other team they might work in this deal to get Chris Paul maybe to the Lakers or the Clippers again or Miami or somewhere else other than Washington because, Drew, I don't think he's going to play a single minute for the Wizards. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he plays a single minute for the Wizards either because he holds so much cachet in the NBA and everybody's going to want to do right by him. You know, the same reason why I said Mike, you know, brought up Mike and trading ties to a contender or a place where he can start. Same thing. You know, Chris Paul holds way too much weight in the NBA for them to banish him to a a Wizards team that's ultimately trading off everybody. And so regarding the Bradley Bill trade, you know, you said if David Stern was a commissioner, this would have gotten vetoed. I don't really know that that's true because reports started coming out. Coming out, I believe it was Brian Windhorse said it's going to be stunning how low the offers will be for Bradley Beal, and it's because of his no trade clause. Mm-hmm. The Washington Wizards gave him a no trade clause, and it's that's virtually unheard of in the NBA, and it's for this reason. It's because Bradley Bill can veto anything, and Phoenix knew that Bradley Bill would come play for them and would waive his no-trade clause, and so they offered peanuts, and and peanuts is, you know, what was accepted, you know? To me, I just hate it. I hate this whole super team thing. I hate—it just feels stupid. It seems like it's always surrounding Kevin Durant, although Kevin Durant didn't make this move, but— they're definitely become a villain in the NBA again. And, and I don't, I wouldn't even put this run really on par with the other big threes of the past. It's really ruffled my feathers, like KD and Harden and Kyrie. I hated them. And KD and Steph and clay. I hated them. And, you know, this team, you know, Bradley Bill's played 60 games the last two years. He may have played a lot more if they were any good, you know, mm-hmm. but KD, it's going to miss some time every year. I don't think this is quite the caliber of big three that we've seen in the past. No, this, this does it. All this does is make them more hateable. It doesn't really make them a threat to me because like you said, Bradley Beal and and Katie, especially been made out of paper mache these last couple of years. And, you know, on paper, does it look bad? Yeah, it looks like a great team on paper. But when KD's going to miss a ton of time, Bradley Beal's going to miss a ton of time, I don't know that this team scares me any more than it did at the end of last year. And I'm not going to go that far. I mean, ultimately, they replaced Chris Paul with Bradley Beal, and that's a significant upgrade. Sure. You know, you're, the problem is you they have no – bench and they have no way to pay a bench that's what i'm that's that's what i'm yeah. saying like they don't have any the, what are you gonna just play you're gonna play you're gonna run out bill katie uh book and then what yeah you're gonna be dealing a lot with uh what's his name um 
campaign. You're yeah. going to have a lot of campaign minutes. Oh, my mama, I didn't touch it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't think they're quite the level. I don't, I wouldn't pick them over Denver, for instance. No. Uh, going go forward. Get, uh, Tristan Thompson out of retirement to come play post for him because that's all I mean, they're going to be able to afford. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're talking vet minimum, and I'm sure Tristan Tom- Thompson has a lot of child support, and he <laughs> needs the work. So, uh, yeah, so maybe so. So it's going to be, it's going to be like those old LeBron Cleveland Cavalier teams where it's just yeah. LeBron and then a bunch of LA fitness guys, <laughs> Booby Gibson and Leon, uh, not Leandro Barbosa, uh, Alejandro, Anderson Verichal uh, and Zadrunas <laughs> Ilgauskas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those. They're going to go scrape the Serbian national team, hoping to find yeah. another Jokic in the rough. <laughs> right. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I hate know. it. I hate yeah. it, but you know, the trade was made because Bradley, the Washington Wizards did that to themselves when they put the no trade clause in there. That kept them from ever being able to. Because the, the team that's got the equity to go trade for Bradley Beal or a player of that ilk and, you know, has the assets to make that happen are trash teams. Right. You know, the good teams that are spending lots of money and competing don't have assets to trade. Mm-hmm. And that's the only team that he was ever going to waive his no trade clause for. So th- yeah. that's the, that's the Wizards' fault. Yeah, absolutely. They're gonna get yeah. He's gonna go pair up with some good player for the first time in his career. Phoenix came calling, like you said, they literally just lowballed and said, "What's the worst that can happen?" And I'm sure they were all shocked when they got the okay <laughs> coming yeah. back on the phone. And home. so Chris Paul gets shipped to the Washington Wizards. And a couple of days later, the Washington Wizards make another trade. Did you see this? Mm-mm. So this afternoon, news broke that a three-team trade went down. The Washington Wizards will send Kristaps Porzingis oh, to the Boston this. Celtics. I did see The this. Los Angeles Clippers will get um, Malcolm Brogdon, mm-hmm. sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, mm-hmm. and the Washington Wizards will get one of the Morris twins and a mere coffee and some picks or something, you know? And so the Wizards went from Bradley Beal and Chris Stapps Porzingis to Chris Paul and nothing. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> so, so yeah, he's out and yeah, he's, he, they're going to get somehow give them a couple first round picks or something or a couple second round picks or something. I've been reading Miami will, will kick the tires and then he's got a, his family lives in LA. He spends all his off season in LA. He loves playing to the Clippers. Clippers. Go back to the Clippers or possibly end up in LA with LeBron. Yeah. If LeBron's not traded to Dallas. Good Lord. Make me hate the Lakers a little bit more too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that I need any more of that. Yeah. Um, but speaking of the Grizz, Drafts tomorrow night. We got a generational talent in Victor Wimbenyama is going to go first overall, although Scoot Henderson is taking some offense to that these last couple of days. But the draft is pretty well set. We know what's going to happen. And I then, don't know. I uh, mean, Kevin O'Connor in his big board has Brandon Miller going too. And it seems to be the quotes out of, you know, Brandon Miller saying, you know, and you know how agents do. So take it all with a grain of salt. But that Brandon Miller to Charlotte at two is pretty much a done deal. Hmm. Which would put Scoot at three to Portland. Hmm. Which you put Scoot and Damien on the same team, Lillard on the same team. See, (laughs) if you asked me yesterday, if Scoot gets drafted by Portland, that's the death nail 
for Damian Lillard in in Portland. That Damian Lillard is not going to go rebuild. They play virtually the same position. That'll be, you know, this will have been Damian's. But that's not what they said today. (laughs) But then today it came out that they're not receiving trade offers, which again, agents, general managers, there's it's all smoke screens anyway. So take it with a grain of salt. So who knows? I'll be honest with you. The NBA draft is one of my favorite sporting nights of the year. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think that the NBA does it so well, and I think they do it. It's so intriguing because the rosters are smaller. You know all the players. You know where they fit in, in the pecking order. And so it's just a ton of fun to see draft night there because you can see teams literally go from worst to first when it comes to preseason projections on draft night yeah and to make it even more fun is our team the memphis grizzlies wear out draft night i made a trade if every Matt, year under zach Kleiman. if zach Kleiman has a million minutes on his at&t cell phone plan he burns through 75 percent of them on draft night we're <laughs> never sitting still we're always antsy it's one of those it's like a good movie you cannot turn it off we're at pick 58, and the Grizzlies are still trying to make moves. Mm-hmm. And so w- there's a lot of gaping questions when it comes to the Grizzlies roster, and there's a lot of speculation that they want to move in more veteran directions. And the NBA draft night is the prime time to do it. It's, w- it's the hot time to make these big trades. And whereas in the past we've packaged – you know, picks to move up in the draft or sent DeAnthony Melton to Philly to move up in the draft. I can see us trading multiple picks and players and not drafting at all as a possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're able to land a superstar or a, a big time player where they you just they yep. push all their chips in tomorrow night. A couple names that keep coming up, OG Ananobius, and we've talked about a lot on this podcast, trading with the Raptors, some picks and some players to get him to Memphis, one that's gaining some traction as of late as a veteran that, again, with some health issues, but maybe a Paul George that could come in. The Clippers are actively shopping him. There are names out there that are available that the Grizzlies should go after that they could move up into that, like move up a tier in the draft and get a player back, or like you said, trade all of our picks move back and get a, a true superstar or a vet that we need. Yeah, I'll believe Paul George is an option when it happens. I just don't believe it. I'm just reporting rumors, all I'm doing. Yeah, reporting rumors. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what they do. It's obvious what they want to do and what the roster needs. It's a wing. So go out there and look at your Jeremy Grants or John Collins or OG Ananobi. I mean, there's... There's a bunch of folks out there that you can go look for and try to make a deal for on draft night. It's just the fact that it all seems to come to a head on draft night that makes the NBA draft so fascinating. I agree. And uh, you've kind of got changing of the guard in several different uh, for several different teams. Case in point, Portland that we've talked about. This could be a changing of the guard moment tomorrow night mm-hmm. for Portland. And uh, you get to see the generational talent in Victor Wembanyama, who apparently has is the best prospect since uh, Lou Alcindor, aka Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
So you don't hear comments like that thrown out very often, especially, you know, you may hear since LeBron, but these people are saying he's a better prospect than LeBron. Which is and, wild. <laughs> and Scoot Henderson is, is wildly underrated because of the yeah. magnitude of Wimby. Yeah, any other year, and Scoot is the number one overall pick that everybody is salivating on trying to get. And, you know, does he go to Portland, like you said, and that's the nail in the coffin that Dame then goes to, to Miami or goes somewhere else because they're actively looking to build around Bam and Jimmy? Or does he come in and they play side-by-side side for a year and then Dame goes? Right. There's also, so many cool things that are going to unfold tomorrow night. Yeah, also another team to look for is the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. Reports have come out that they covet Scoot Henderson. If he were to fall to three and Portland decides that they want to stick it out with Dame and try to build around Dame one more time, you could have a situation to where Brandon Ingram or some reports say Zion Williamson could be on the market for the third pick if Scoot Henderson is there. And that is just, uh, like you're saying, another changing of the guard situation that is in play tomorrow night for the NBA draft. The number two pick's not off the board. Zion Williamson has been linked to Charlotte. He's from South Carolina. There's some reports there that they could actively package him in a, in a sweet deal for that number two pick. Right. Maybe they go get Brandon Miller or they get Scoot there, and, and then uh, Brandon Miller ends up out in Portland with Dame. You know, There's so many cool things. Basically, what you think is going to happen right now is probably not going to happen tomorrow night. Yeah, and with guys like Scoot Henderson, he is no consolation prize. This kind of reminds me of the the 2019 draft, the Jaw draft, mm-hmm. because yeah. Jaw, you know, Grizzlies fans we've talked about on this podcast were like, "Oh man, we could have the number one pick." Oh crap, we got two. We're one shy. But wait, number two is Jaw Morant. Right. <laughs> and turns you get out one of those first three New Orleans, picks. Yeah, New yeah. Orleans got zonked. You know. Yeah. And so, and we got John Morant. And so mm-hmm. there's plenty. I mean, if the top three picks being the Spurs and the Hornets and the Trailblazers, it don't matter who you leave out with. You should be yeah. excited. Yeah, I agree. You get any of those guys, Brandon Miller, even with his off the court issues, any of those guys are going to be really good NBA players and can contribute fairly immediately. I think you, you're happy if you end up with one of those three Absolutely. guys. It's Absolutely. just like 19, like you said, where you got Zion, John, R.J. Barrett. You end up with one of those guys, you'll be in, in good shape, that's for sure. Unless you're the Knicks and you've got R.J. Barrett, and then you're probably upset. <laughs> and you're probably upset. Because <laughs> uh, they were talking about that draft, like Zion is buns, Ja is guns, and R.J. can't shoot. <laughs> I saw one thing. He's like, everybody look back at the uh, NBA draft from 2019 and – Look how well that's aged and said uh, uh, Zion, 400 pounds and loves Instagram models. Ja loves guns. R.J. Barrett is Canadian. (laughs) DeAndre Hunter sucks. Uh, That's funny. Uh, Yeah, man. So tune in tomorrow night, the NBA draft. I think it'd be good to watch. Drew and I'll be watching it. Uh, Be a lot of fun, fun things happening tomorrow night. But speaking of fun things, listen, man. I am a fan of West Coast majors. Yeah. Get off work. I could get home. I could watch golf while I eat supper. I had I had college baseball up on my TV. I had the U.S. Open on my computer. I was why I mean, it was a great time for golf. And I'm taking a step further. 
Father's Day weekend golf oh, yeah. is elite because yeah. I don't get a card to play rarely ever. You know, I may get my birthday and Father's Day. And so if I can play those cards and it be on the West Coast and it's seven o'clock on a Friday night and we got yeah. a baby goes to sleep and I'm just like, honey, you know, it's Father's Day weekend, you know, because she I have to celebrate her birthday for a whole week. If I'm <laughs> lucky, it's just a week. And so uh, my wife was so gracious to let me chill out a little bit. And you've got the the final pairings teeing off at four or five o'clock central time. And it was just perfect. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember Friday or Saturday night I got in bed and I watched uh, Ricky Fowler bogey 18 on that just mm -hmm. easy putt to – to Leave the door. drop him down to a tie for first going into Sunday. But that putt, which was the last hole of the golf tournament for that day, went off at like 9 o'clock. And I'm like, man, this is perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And I mean, that's <laughs> it. It was 10, 10, 30 here, and I'd watch it, and I'd just go to bed. And it was – I mean, it was incredible. Not to mention the golf was really good. They absolutely tore it up on day one. Yeah. There's been some complaints. There's been some people that liked it. It's, it was a very polarizing experience at the L.A. Country Club. Some players, Tony Finau loved it. Other players did not. The ticket situation was interesting. Did you hear about this? Yeah. Uh, before you get to that, on the atmosphere thing uh, and what I thought just of the course in general, because I know the Los Angeles Country Club kind of screwed themselves on tickets, but that was really the major thing that was – missing is it felt like i was watching on a muni course you know a college a college tournament you know there was not hardly anybody there and the course didn't bother me i kind of liked how there was huge like you had to be super precise approaching the green and on fairways because you you had to come at the green at such an angle a perfect angle you had to lay those approach shots at such a or the uh the uh, you like your second shot at such a perfect spot for your approach shot to even be doable on like some, the then geometry some of, them, of it the, yeah, some of them had those wide open fairways that you yeah. can slice the crap out of the ball right and every hole has their every course has their hard holes and their easy holes but i like kind of that aspect of it where you could really tell that the geometry that went into being successful at that course however I hated the fact that the 18th hole, their fairway was 56 yards wide. It was like a layup mm -hmm. for my man going down with a one-shot lead over Wyndham Rory Clark, on 18. Yeah. You know, uh, Wyndham Clark just had no problem at all. I mean, it was the easiest, one of the easiest holes on the tournament. And I hated the fact that there was really no atmosphere at all until Wyndham Clark walked onto the green at 18, and they, like they do every year, they let the – the fans come up to the green to watch it. That was, that's always one of my favorite parts about the U S open. Um, but outside of that, the fan experience and the fandom at the whole, at the country club was just very poor. And tell us why that is. Rusty. So a couple things, first of all, they, they crammed it into a very expensive, very small section of real estate between Beverly Hills, sunset Boulevard. There's like a lot going on there. They crammed a golf course in. So, I read that they made the course easier on Friday and Saturday, or Thursday and Friday before the cut, because if they had made those holes really hard, the golfers have been right on top of one another because they're so close and tight in there. Mm. And then okay. furthermore, 
they only allotted like 23,000 tickets for the weekend. 14,000 went to the members of the LA Country Club, which is one of the most exclusive and pretentious and very rigid country clubs in the country. And then not only that, but then a lot of the members went out and bought estimates of four to 6,000 more of those extra tickets on top of their 14,000 just to keep the public at large off their golf course and not there, which really just kind of, whether it's true or not, the rumor was out there, kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like the U S open is a, is a great event and it's one that needs to be experienced by a lot of people in order to create the atmosphere. Like you were talking about that you'll see at Augusta or that you'll see at Oakmont or Valhalla next year that you see right. these great atmospheres of golf. Like you said, otherwise it felt like I was watching like, like the corn fairy, no offense to those guys. Yeah. It felt like it was a smaller tour, not the friggin' US. Open. Yeah. I've watched the NCAA golf tournament. You know, it felt like that, you know? Yeah. hundred uh, percent. And that's what you get. I mean, if you're going to cater to the, it's such a California thing to do. It's so elitist and taking care of, of the people who pay the most money. And it, the people that suffer are one, the people who want to, the normal people who want to go to Los Angeles and watch golf. You know, some people are able to do that and they can't because your wealthy elite poached all the tickets. And two, the fans at home watching because there's no crowd noise at all. All you hear is, ambulance sirens and and helicopters overhead you know yeah. it's just that's who suffers from it and it's because you you cater to your your base you know yep 100 percent. it's kind of like what trump does with twitter you know all he does is just talk directly to the folks of alabama pander <laughs> yep. yeah yep. pander that's all they did is pander to to the people yeah. who and who paid who pay their membership there and yeah. I mean, they're not suffering from it. Any NBC is going to pay the same amount of money one way or the other. Yep. And, you know, again, talk about some of the rules. Like you can't no shorts allowed ever. You can't have your phone out on the course. You can only make phone calls either from the parking lot or the phone in the locker room. Oh, I love that. Which is great. That's yeah, I love like, that. I'm fine with that. That's cool. The Masters does that too. Mm-hmm. It's cool. I'm, I'm here for that. They even do that with their members, like just playing on a Tuesday. But I want to do that at cookouts in my house. If I'm being perfectly that. honest with you. Yeah. Like, no, I don't. I've disagree. had my, I've had family come over before for cookouts, and they just play on the phone, and I just look at them and like, put that up. Yep. You, I come. You come to my house. I cook for you. We're going to hang out. <laughs> I've seen those where you go in a party and they've got a bucket for keys and a bucket for phones, and you have to put it in there when you first walk in. And I'm all for that. Right. Um, but just handle the tournament better. And speaking of Ricky Fowler, man, you know, I, I was rooting for Ricky and, and I saw it one of, speaking of Trump, I saw this really funny tweet and it was a Donald Trump with a message to Wyndham Clark. And it says, we love you. You're special, but please go home. Yes. <laughs> the world because was ru- everybody wanted to see yes. Fowler versus McElroy on the final yes. day. It felt like it was 2012 all over again. And, and Ricky and his, his Puma sponsorship, shout out to my buddy Jake up at Boston, like could have been really great for golf. Cause Ricky has a massive following to be the 120th ranked golfer in the world. But much like Chick-fil-A, Ricky Fowler, unfortunately was closed on Sunday. Yeah. And once it started happening and I kind of, you know, I told you on Saturday, I watched the final, I went to bed after he missed that putt on 18, the final shot of the day and bogey to fall to 10 under tied for first with Wyndham Clark going into Sunday. 
at that point I was like, oh man, is this the, is this it? Is this the start of the collapse? And sure enough, I think, what did he go four over on Sunday? He was flirting Uh, three or four over the whole time. I think he finished it four over. Yeah. And so I hate it because you root for guys like that who've been around. He's a name who's just never, you know, he's Charles Barkley of golf. You know, mm-hmm. he's just he's an all time great, possibly. Yeah. But unlike, he's never gotten he's never broken through. Unlike one Tommy Fleetwood, who had a Sunday to be remembered, went seven under on the day and just was on an absolute tear and if he'd had a decent friday or saturday would have been right in the contention with rory and and wyndham clark but tommy fleetwood turned it on on a sunday like we hadn't seen in a long time finishing the day seven under (laughs) yeah i mean to put ricky's weekend in perspective he was eight under after thursday and he finished four under on the weekend and so uh and it was 10 under going into uh sunday yeah so. Just rough, rough, rough Sunday of golf, rough weekend of golf for Ricky, especially it started really coming apart on the back nine, 13, 14 on Saturday. You could just see that trajectory just started trending down. You and could tell he 18. was, you could tell he was fighting to stay the course, mm-hmm. uh, the second, the back nine on Saturday. So he was just trying to hang on. And then when he bogeyed 18, you could just almost see just, did just yeah. deflate. And because like, you know, that's what he's thinking about at night yeah. when he's going to sleep. Yeah. He's like, how did that put not go in? Yeah, because Friday he had all the swagger in the world. I'm sure you saw he's on the green on 15. He's putting in. The guy goes, Ricky, what are you doing? From the crowd. And he responds with, and I'll, this is a family podcast. I'll clean mm-hmm. it up. But he just looks at him and says, I'm leading the U.S. Open. Had all uh-huh. the swagger in the world on Friday. And by Sunday it was gone. Yeah. Hate it for him. Mm-hmm. Now, he's got a beautiful wife and a beautiful kid. <laughs> He's got all the money, money in the world. Money. He ain't hurting no. for nothing. No. But, you know, you do play sports to be competitive and to win, and so you hate it for him for that. Yeah. But. yeah. I think back to the Ian Poulter episode of Full Swing where it's just like, I'm not out here to just play golf. I'm out here to be competitive and win. And that's what right. you like. He does that for a reason. Sure, he's making a ton of money from sponsorships, but he wants to win. <laughs> right. Of course. That's why they're, that's why they're here. You know, I, I – I have no problem with athletes that are struggling, uh, starting to be frustrated. You know, yeah. most people are like, oh, well, how are you? You know, you're the 1% of 1%. You ain't got nothing to worry about. Yeah. Well, no, you're, you're at the position you're at because you're a competitor and you want to win. Yep. You know, I you get just it. have the yips right now or whatever. Right. Like, you just got to find a way. All right. If you hung with us this long, it is time to talk about one of our favorite events, and it has not disappointed you. The College World Series has been some epic baseball games outside of the, the beatdown LSU gave Tennessee last night. It was, it's been phenomenal baseball from start to finish with clash of the Titans with Wake Forest and LSU and Florida really finding their stride and winning some games and Oral Roberts winning games and playing great baseball until they ran out of steam yesterday. But it has been an incredible college World series. The first round of games, all the games were decided by three runs or less. They just don't get much better baseball than what we've had. Yeah, I would guess that the uh, the most lopsided game yet would, I guess the uh, TCU Oral Roberts was a five was six to one and LSU Tennessee yesterday was five to nothing. So five runs is probably the biggest win yeah. of the College World Series so far. And I was that talking, we'll see. yeah, and uh, I was talking to my dad last night, you know, or Sunday night for Father's Day. We were sitting around watching the games and 
you know, we just looked out there at Charles Schwab Field and was watching the game, and I just noticed in the atmosphere. And I just looked at him. I was like, it kind of hits differently knowing you've been there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about golf. How's anybody watched that? And I told him, well, you play it one time, and you realize what it, it's all about. And it kind of felt that way about the College World Series. I was there last year. I watched my team win it all. And even though my team's not there, I can feel the magic still of what it was like being there. And it has absolutely lived up to the wildest expectations. Um, it all started Oral Roberts upsetting TCU was great uh, to start the, I guess that was the first game of the College World Series. And then and yeah, they were losing. They had a, another come from behind win like they've been doing all postseason right. long. And Wake Forest comes from behind to beat um, LSU oh, yeah. uh, in the eighth inning. Uh, to put LSU in the loser's bracket. I mean, mm-hmm. everything's been good. There's been far too many games for us to go through all of them, but overarching, yeah. what we're left with now is we've got Florida in the championship series. Mm-hmm. They clinched that today with a dramatic three to or four to three win over TCU in which the last out of the game was a wow. hundred and what? 104 miles per hour off the bat. Seven foot shot. Yeah. 104 miles per hour off the bat, went 407 feet, and was caught at the warning track. Just a ball that's out of any ballpark in college baseball. Absolutely. In probably most pros, you know, to be honest. Absolutely. Just an absolute missile. Yeah, just a heartbreaker that the Florida center fielder catches on a dead sprint while crashing into the wall. Mm -hmm. That's what you've gotten out of this College World Series. It's drama. You know, college sports you know especially in regular seasons can be hit or miss you know there's a wide variety of quality in teams you know um take for instance uh the first four weeks of the college football season when it's just nothing but blowouts mm-hmm. we're here at, and this is the cream of the crop that's left and every game has been nip tuck and it has just been incredible probably most impressed i've been was last night with LSU. LSU started a reliever who was Accurate a chunky dominant. lefty uh, <laughs> and making his first start of his career and cruised through six innings. They brought in another chunky lefty that closed the game out. They just found a way to beat Tennessee, who had just decided they were going to expire at the same time. You know, I'm not even going to pour one out for Tennessee. I'm going to have another in celebration yeah. of their loss. Um, they just forgot how to hit last night, and they got and LSU brought out two of their starting guards on their football team to pitch. Right. And Dylan Cruz lived up to the hype, hitting the balls last night, just all over the yard. Wake Forest has looked the part of coast to coast number one. But you're right, we've got the three best teams left, who've all spent time in the top two or three positions this year in the college baseball polls, with some of well, the biggest and best personalities. Yeah. So during the game last night. It was said LSU versus Tennessee. These are the, uh, I'm sorry. It was, it's, uh, Wake Forest, Tennessee game. Mm-hmm. Wake Forest played Tennessee. No. Tennessee lost to LSU. Then they beat Stanford and then lost right. to LSU again. Right. Okay. Well, Wake Forest in that side of the bracket, Wake Forest and LSU. I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't even know why I brought Tennessee into this. It's this game I'm watching right now. Wake Forest and LSU are the only two teams 
in NCAA baseball this year that have been ranked number one, and you've mm-hmm. got them right now, and LSU's got to beat them twice. Yep. And so just an update on that game because I do have it pulled up. I don't know if you do or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, two nothing Wake in the that's too small for my old eyes. It's the bottom of the second, second. inning. Early, yeah, got one out. Yeah. So it it's been fantastic baseball mm-hmm. and. Shame on LSU. You're down two to nothing now, and if you lose with Paul Skeens on the bench, then you deserve to lose, you know? Yeah, because we don't need to be robbed of uh, Paul Skeens against, oh, what's the ace from Wake Forest with the long hair? I, I'll think of his name. I can't remember his name, I'll, but we, that's we what we would get that. tomorrow. You know? We deserve that tomorrow night. So LSU needs to find a way to win tonight. Um, we've seen some of the highest highs, lows, lows. We almost saw a big mess up in the Florida Oral Roberts game. You know, one of the new rules for this year that we talked about back at the beginning of the season was the limit on mound visits. You get six. Pace of play. Right. For the pace pace of play. play, You only get six mound visits. After that, if you go out there, you have to make a change. And Kevin O'Sullivan, the skipper there at Florida is normally just a stalwart of cool. He knows where he's at, leaves that team well. Marches out of the dugout to go have a mound visit after his catcher just had one a few pitches prior as number six. And on visit number seven, he goes out and talks to the pitcher and it's all American, all American closer. And is determined that that was visit number seven and they don't have anybody in the bullpen warming up. So some dude just has to come in and throw some warm up pitches and get going without warm up time. Yeah, it was almost the biggest gaffe in college world series this year. Uh, because you had to pull your All-American closer in a very tight game. And mm. somehow, Florida pulled it out because it yeah. looked like they were dead in the Dicey. water. Yeah. Dicey. Because they had two on and at that point. There was runners on second and third, I think with one out. And he comes in and forces a double play to end the inning. But it was dicey there for a minute. Yeah. There's been incredible plays at the plate. The Wake Forest play. Oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, Wake Forest had an inside the park home run and no, Oral Roberts, no, Oral had, Roberts had an inside, inside the park, park home run. run. It was the tag at the plate that jumped yeah. out of Wake Forest. Yeah. And then in the LSU in the uh, Wake Forest LSU game, there was a play at the plate and uh, what's the first baseman's name for LSU? Uh, Judd uh, Morgan is the last name. Uh, uh, Trey Morgan. Trey Morgan. Trey, Mor- Trey Morgan has this awkward slide and gets tagged out at home plate in what was a one run game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so awesome like it yeah. it brought me back that that uh game two in the college world series final last year where you know oklahoma's the home team in this situation wake forest was the home team so they're batting in the top of the eighth and they know if i can scratch across two runs here we are three outs away and it was just as quick as that it was we took the lead game over in the yep. next half inning it was awesome and it was a great play from start to finish. Their third baseman made an incredible play down the line into foul territory, gathers himself, makes an awkward throw. Well, he double-pumped it. Right. Like he, he double-clutched. Yeah, weird. and the catcher makes a pick with a catcher's mitt that's just unbelievable, and in one motion tags Trey Morgan. And I thought initially he was safe because he tagged him low, but made a great right. play to hit that knee before Trey Morgan touched the plate for the out. Just a bang-bang, as close of a play as you'll ever see at the plate in the biggest moment of the season for both these two teams. I mean, it's just incredible drama. Again, like you said, an inside the park home run for Oral Roberts and 
just great baseball. We had uh, two All-Americans for Stanford and Tennessee, and Dylan DeLuca and Quinn Matthews went toe-to-toe until Quinn Matthews forgot how to pitch in the fifth inning and just I started serving I want to take a game. victory lap on this real quick because I said Stanford was overrated and also said that Quinn Matthews uh, – What's his name? The skipper for Stanford. I said he was stupid for letting him pitch 156 pitches. He did. Uh, and so Quinn Matthews had nothing left. You yeah. know, their yeah. ace had for nothing four innings, left. He pitched well, and then in the fifth inning, he ran out of gas hard. And that's just the thing. When you're coming off an outing of that length and that many pitches, you don't tail off gradually. You hit a wall, and he hit a wall. And, it was, yeah. and then the season was over. You know, I guess you got to go with your right guy, but you don't let him go for 156 pitches. You know, what's been impressive about Florida to me is Jack Caglione has not had the best World Series and they're still they're getting contributions from a lot of other guys. He's over three the other night and he hadn't pitched yet. He just hadn't done as much as you would think a guy of his caliber would do. But they're having guys step up left and right, including that Southern Miss transfer who was absolutely filthy the other night. Hurston Waldrop. Waldrop, yeah. I was getting ready to say just filthy the other night after he had a rocky first inning and just settled in, and all he did was throw strikes and hammer the plate for four or five innings there in the middle of that game just to give Florida a win. And you know, Florida's an impressive team. They're going to be a tough out. They're, they're playing good baseball right now. They walk through undefeated all the way on their side of the bracket. We're in for an exciting final, whoever ends up coming out of this, uh, the top half of the bracket. Yeah, so that Florida-Virginia game is probably the highlight of my College World Series, if you ask me what it was for me. You had, what, four home runs in the last inning, with or in the last inning and a half, I guess, because Florida hit three solo shots in an inning, <laughs> uh, or in two innings to tie it, and so it was just incredible. That yeah. was a great game. The College World Series has absolutely delivered, and a lot of people can – you know, would like to say like, oh, well, you love it. That's why it's great. Like, no, unbiasedly, mm-hmm. it's been an incredible College World Series. If you don't like college baseball, you're wrong. If you like baseball and you haven't been watching this, you've been missing the cream of the crop at the college level play this year. And, you know, Cinderella ran out of steam at the ball this, this afternoon and Oral Roberts. So we, you know, we got, or yes, yeah, uh, yesterday. It got some, yesterday. Thank you. And then right. just had some great, great, play from some of the best teams had some great uniforms uh my favorite of the tournament again is florida the cream with the script yeah, looks good the, the, the gator skin numbers yesterday just looked incredible i, could do without those, I thought they were cool man those were awesome but i do love those cream I, i'm a sucker i've even told rusty that i like mississippi state's cream with the script mm-hmm. i'm a sucker I, for script man yeah i love script anything script yep. um so yeah it's great uh so you got Florida coming out of one side of the bracket. You're either going to have Wake Forest or LSU coming out of the other side of the bracket. Ooh, bless you, young buck. Sorry, I couldn't <laughs> find my mute button. I was scared I was going to sneeze right in the microphone. Uh, so uh, I just had to bail out real quick. Um, so you got either Wake Forest or LSU on the other side of the bracket. Do you care who makes it out? No, I think either way it'll be an incredible series. And but like, who are you of the three teams? Who would you like to win the College World Series? Not LSU. Of course not LSU. No. Uh, you know, I'm an SEC homer, and I know you're not. I would probably root for Florida just to keep in the SEC, which, speaking of, I know this is not, not going to mean anything to you, but 
14 out of the last 15 finals in the College World Series has had an SEC team in it, which is just an incredible dominance of a run of dominance in baseball. And I know you're going to roll your eyes, but it's 14 out of 15. I was trying and, to think of who, who the other one was. Maybe Co- the year Coastal won or Fresno uh, or – because I saw it. Uh, Virginia, Virginia played Vanderbilt twice, so that's not it. It may have uh, been Coastal, because didn't Coastal beat Virginia? I can't remember. I think it was Coastal. Um, but, I mean, I like Wake Forest. They're a ton of fun to watch. And it is fitting that that Coastal, or Wake Forest is where they are because – and they're such a, you know, they're such a, they're a academic school, right? They're a smart school, smart kid school. So all they've talked about all week long has been the analytics department of Wake Forest baseball. Have you seen some of that? It was 2016. Uh, uh, CCU beat Arizona was the last time okay. an SEC team went in there. But have you seen okay. some of that about the analytics that they? No, I have it's quite impressive. They've got a couple guys. They've got a guy. He's going to uh, work for the Blue Jays next year. They were highlighting him last night and just some of the, the, the analytics they've done behind arm angle and pitch speeds and pitch counts and uh batter tendencies they've got these formulas that he really this 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 biomechanical engineer influences the pitch selection and pitch count almost as much if not more than the pitching coach because of the analytics that they run in game it was quite impressive last night well over my north north mississippi head but just seeing the that the that take on baseball is fun for Wake Forest, but if it's Wake, it, it, for me it's Florida. I want Florida to win. Yeah, I'll surprise you a little bit. I I wouldn't mind Florida winning. Uh, honestly, Florida LSU would be a lot of fun, uh, and I would absolutely root for LSU. I mean, for Florida at absolutely. that point. Yeah, sorry, I almost said the bad word here. No. Um. Uh. I don't. I don't mind Florida. Florida's not a team that I really have a lot of beef with. They're in the East. They're not Tennessee. Um, I like Kevin LSU. Sullivan. I, I really like him a lot. He seems like a good coach, good dude. He uh, he kind of wore his his mistake today. I sent you the tweet. I thought it was hilarious. Right. He had a, a t-shirt on the back that said "Yes, I can count to six after right. his snafu the other night. Which is the only way you can proceed yeah. is you've got to own it and laugh yeah. about it. You know, you and it's easier to laugh about since you won. But yeah. Uh yeah, I don't I don't mind Florida or Wake winning it, uh as long as it's not LSU. Yeah, that's it. As long as it's not, I think we we agree on that. As long as it's not LSU, anybody can win. But speaking of college baseball, Mississippi State, for those of you keeping up with home, does have a pitching coach now. Um, a big hire from across the SEC. We were dead last this year in the SEC and walked batters. Reached across the SEC to the east and picked up Justin Parker, the pitching coach for the South Carolina Gamecocks last year, who were number two in the SEC in giving up walks. So a massive upgrade. It's been a wild 24, 48 hours for Mississippi State. Drew is a big fan of recruiting in June, but these kids make these commitments and they end up somewhere else. I'm, I know that. I own that. And I recognize that. But we signed or we had three commits from top 15 players in the state of Mississippi, including three four stars, two four star wide receivers, one from Starkville. Then we had Dakota Jordan, who was our freshman all SEC baseball player in center field, enter the transfer portal for about 15 hours. In the meantime, we signed Justin Parker as our new baseball, our new pitching coach. DJ enters the the transfer portal for about 15 hours, pulls back out of it. It was a wild 48 hours what, for Mississippi State sports. <laughs> what was the deal with that? Was that just like a leverage play? 
I think it was. I think it's just like what Tula Griffin did in football. He put his name in there to see what he could get in an NIL deal. Slate Alford had put his name in and went to Georgia. There were some rumors that he was trying to recruit him to go to Georgia with him, but DJ is on record. He's a dog, grew up a dog, wants to be a dog. So he's he it was a it was a play to get more NIL money, I would almost guarantee it. Yeah. Well, I mean, considering he was only in the transfer portal for less than a day, I'd probably agree. Regarding the pitching coach, I mean, yeah, that's a big win for you guys. I mean, it's obviously needed. You fired one because he was terrible. And so to go hire one that has a pretty good track record is pretty good. Um, We're just glad to hit the transfer portal. Right now, the only transfer portal player we have is a D2 pitcher. We're going to have to kick the tires and get get some talent in. That's what we, offense is not the issue. Pitching was our issue last year. Yeah, so Ole Miss has actually hit the transfer portal hard. I wish that Ole Miss would hire a pitching coach. That would be great, but that's not going to happen. What Ole Miss is looking at, today they landed a Duke freshman third baseman who hit 299 with 11 home runs. Uh, uh, Sounds like a very smart guy. His name is Andrew Fisher. Future Um, turn. Yeah. so yeah, 299 with 11 home runs as a true freshman at Duke. And so one of the things I hate about the transfer portal is that you never feel like you really get to know anybody. But he's got the opportunity to play three years for Ole Miss, which which I like. Uh, they got a shortstop from Division Two, a D, uh, DJ Urso, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, he's probably gonna be a shortstop next year. Uh, he was just. His dad was the coach at Tampa, I guess Tampa University or University of Tampa. Um, Where's Shotney going? I know Peyton in the transfer portal. For yeah. Do we know? Yeah, I don't know yet. Uh, that's the kind of discouraging thing when you think back of the College World Series run you've got last year. It seems like next year there's not going to be any of the guys remaining. So you obviously lost Tim Elko and Kevin Graham, Justin Bench, Dylan DeLucia, uh, all your stalwarts after last season's championship run. And this year you're probably going to lose Kemp Alderman to the draft. And you're, uh, you're definitely going to lose Jacob Gonzalez to the draft. Thank God. And they got been there 10 years. Yeah. He's actually been there three, but it feels <laughs> but, like but he's been there forever because he's so freaking good. He's been tearing it up forever, <laughs> but that's kind of the point, you know, with the transfer portal. Now, if somebody has been there for three years. It feels like they've been there forever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and Peyton Chagny's entered the portal. TJ McCants has entered the portal. And Chagny's probably going to go to whatever whatever school has got the most following on TikTok. I would imagine. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> Y'all, you hold on to that as if it's something it that up. every other school doesn't do. It's you know, it, huh? it, it would be different if Ole Miss's baseball account isn't on record. Well, saying saying, well, at least we have more TikTok followers than you. Like that was a comeback from the Ole Miss baseball account. I mean, that, who cares? That's what I'm saying. Like, who cares? No, but I'm saying, why that? do you care so much? Why do you care about TikTok followers? Like, putting up your participation ring. Why do you care what Ole Miss social media account cares about? That is a psychotic behavior. Care about <laughs> That's just your funny to team. me. I, not You're, one day ever have I considered what Mississippi State football is tweeted out and yet you have held on to a tiktok that the Ole Miss baseball account tweeted out of our second baseman and you've held on to it for two years and <laughs> and you think he is the moron it's it's no, for reactions no, like sir. this is why 35 year old man up. mad about a tiktok 
It's it is much it is because of this reaction that I get every single time that I can bring it up for our listeners no, here. And I just no, mentioned I mentioned Ole Miss TikTok and it blows up. No, it's not. It it has nothing to do with that. It really bugs you. And when I call you out on it, you say, "Oh, I just do it to make you mad." No, ad- admit the fact that it actually bothers you. No, it's funny. It's funny because I, I just I did a little Twitter search and I found it. It was back in 2020. Uh, yeah. a Mississippi State account, let's see, was was talking directly with the Ole Miss account. They wonder why we make fun of him. It's Peyton Chatagnier dancing. Ole Miss baseball says, no, you don't. Uh, no, we don't. Hell uh, State Stool says, fun fact, it has been 1,987 days since Mississippi State has lost a baseball game in Oxford, to which the comeback from the Ole Miss baseball account was, well, fun fact, our TikTok account got more followers in four days than your account has gotten in four years. But again, <laughs> what are you supposed to say? You just leave it alone. You don't bring up TikTok. You just don't respond. You don't Who bring up cares, TikTok. <laughs> Who cares? Like, as an Ole Miss fan, I could care less about our own Twitter account. But I mentioned the name Peyton Chatagnier as a three-year starter for Ole Miss at second base and a College World Series champion, and you bring up a TikTok from 2020 to throw it in my face. <laughs> Who's the insane one here? Just, just, just let it go, man. Just, just let like, it go. It's TikTok. Like, it's young person's game. We don't understand it. Just accept <laughs> the fact fair. that you don't understand <laughs> it and let it go. I don't even know what a TikTok is. Okay. I just know they made one. Okay. <laughs> You're, you are an old man yelling at the clouds, like uh, talking about all these young whippersnappers these days and their phone boxes the and TikTok internet machines. There. Like, dancing I don't get that, it, so I'm going to make fun of it. Like, just accept the, fact that, accept the fact that time has passed you by and quit <laughs> making fun of the 20-year-olds having fun, okay? <laughs> Jeez. All right. Uh what are we what were we talking about? <laughs> uh we were talking about uh, this transfer portal and how it's made baseball a lot different now. <laughs> yeah, it's made every sport different. I'm on record about that. I don't know who any players are anymore. Uh if Rusty wants to brag about his his uh three, four star wide receiver recruits that he's got, then uh I'll let you go do that for a few minutes, but they'll probably be playing for Southern Miss in a year and a half. That's what I'm saying. It's just a. It was just a a, a, a passing glance that uh, it shows guys, signs that you can slipped, recruit. We I flipped two people. We flipped yeah. one of them from Ole Miss, one of them from Florida, and we picked up one from our backyard. It's cool. It's June. We've got a long time before signing day, so yeah. it's cool that we've got them now. Can we get them to the finish line? They've all put in their Twitter bios. They're 100 locked up. Chad Bumpus has brought them in. But you never know who they're actually going to play for next August. It is maybe the most, the thing you can take away most as a Mississippi State fan is you've got a brand new receivers coach in Chad Bumpus, who is a Mississippi State legend. Was a stud in Starville and from Tupelo, Mississippi, and can recruit. Yeah, you like to see that he can bring in players. I get it. Uh, Mississippi State's had talented wide receivers before, but they can't ever match a decent wide receiver with a quarterback that seems to throw with the correct hand. Right. So no. uh, they kind of go together. And so, you know, uh, I remember Rusty bragging about Fred Ross for how oh, Fred Ross is, is great, but Nick Fitzgerald is throwing in the ball. So I don't care. You <laughs> know, <throwing> knuckleballs. <laughs> yeah. So hey, Ole Miss, uh, if you want to talk recruiting, Ole Miss did flip a quarterback from Florida. He, what's weird is he, you hear about kids reclassifying up a year to graduate. He reclassified up two years 
So he's a class of 2025 Jeez. quarterback that is enrolling in the summer. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe 16 years old. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. He probably held back a year. But, anyways, that doesn't make the story as funny. Um, <laughs> his mom's going to have to drop him off in practice. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't have his driver's license yet. You know, <laughs> he's never going to be able to drink lunch. when he's in college. You know? <laughs> Yeah. The jokes so, just write themselves. But again, it's recruiting in June. We got a long way until actual early signing period later this fall, um, this winter. And yeah, so it's a, it's a long yeah. way away. Um, I, I recognize that. But it's just fun. Chris, Chad Bubbis can coach. Zach Arnett's doing a really nice job in his first year as a head coach. Is he our long term option? I don't know. But right now, he's winning some recruiting but, battles in June. And as a Mississippi State fan, you don't really have much to reason to celebrate for real yet because you haven't seen a football game yet. So yeah, you, no you have to celebrate the things that you can celebrate. Because, yeah. you know, we're only, you know, what, eight months removed from the passing of their yeah. head coach. And yeah. so you've got to celebrate little victories until you have the opportunity to celebrate a big victory, you know? Yeah. You know, we've got a brand new offense that Kevin Barbary came in from app state, which was a top 20 offense last year again in, in, uh, in the fun belt, take it for a grain of salt, but they were a top 20 offense. It's a brand new system with, we're actually getting some tight ends again. So you don't know what it's going to look like, but it's fun right now winning some recruiting battles, like you said, until we get a product on paper, because, you know, we could just as easily win eight, nine games this year as we could just as easily win three, four games. You just you really don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be a lot of emotion, especially early on in those or in those those first couple of games. But we'll see. You know, we got Arizona coming to, uh, playing at home early in the year. Some we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, I I'm curious how it works out too. Ole Miss, like I said, they, they got that transfer. They, I think they've got about eight quarterbacks in their quarterback room right now. And we don't so, know if any of them are going to start. Right. So uh, it's interesting. I'm not going to say it's not interesting, and I'm not going to say recruiting is not important. I'm just saying that recruiting is not something that I have the capacity to follow anymore. Mm. I just once can't you had do you, it. Once you had your heart broke, right? Uh, I mean – I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. Leo Lewis and Jeffrey Simmons broke me, and I haven't followed recruiting since. Mm-hmm. Um, we had huge recruiting rec- you know, wins in 2014 and 2018. Uh, I'll never forget where I was when Laquan and Robert Kimdichie and Laramie Tunsil were where I was when they all committed. Same thing with A.J. Brown. You know, it's Shea Patterson. Freaking high school. Yeah. Shea Patterson was huge. Mm -hmm. You know, despite I've just become jaded enough to see that, okay, Shea Patterson may have been the number one quarterback in all of baseball, I mean, all of uh, football, uh, but it didn't turn out too good. So, you, you know, I'm not the kind of just. You know, I'm not a Tennessee fan. You know, I'm yeah. not. The, I'm too jaded to think that. I'm too realist and not an idiot. I'm not too big of an idiot to think that, like this is going to be awesome because we have the best recruiting class. I've seen right. what happens. Yeah. It doesn't always work. Recruits, you still don't got no egg bowl or no trophies. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I uh, I will it's learn the players' names uh, when fall gets here. Mm-hmm. Read all the reports to see who stands out in fall practice. We'll get ready for Labor Day weekend, and we'll all be surprised. 
Yeah, can't <laughs> wait, man. I'm looking forward to those uh, those August, those hot days in August where all we can talk about are SEC depth charts and what's coming up, man, because it's going to be an exciting last season without Texas and Oklahoma. A lot of fun games this fall, but it's really going to get real in 2024, and I cannot wait. Yeah, and uh, just a PSA to all of our fans out there that listen to us, we're entering the doldrums of summer uh, coming up. The NBA does help with their free agency and their draft coming up, but the College World Series is almost over. It'll be over probably this time next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, about this time next day. week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you listen to us and like listening to us, like the show, uh, we're really going to start encouraging you to uh, – to help us out with some content, you know, anything's on the table. We'll talk about anything. As you've heard on this podcast, we've talked life. We've talked sports. We've talked movies, whatever, you know, we'll, uh, we've talked about who we'd want to punch the most. <laughs> and so, uh, hit us with your topics. We'll do some drafts over the summer. We'll, we'll do some lists, maybe rank some stuff, maybe some Mount Rushmore stuff, whatever, yeah. uh, we can find to get us through the summer. We're, we're all sports fans and we're all struggling through the summer together. So, uh, let's just, uh, make the most fun of it as you can. So hit us with all of your ideas, questions. You yeah. Know. And if you've got interesting takes, hot takes, you've got some experiences, we'll be hitting you up for guest spots. If you want to, especially this fall, if you've got a, a passion about a football team, we've got a few already slated to talk about some other sec teams, but you got a passion. Let us know, man. We'd love to, uh, get you on the podcast. If it's a business you want to promote, we will do it for a nominal fee um, or some <laughs> gear, but we'd love to have you on the podcast regardless. Yeah. So, uh, Rusty, uh, not to put the brakes on the podcast before you intended to, I just felt like it was natural segue. Is there anything else you want to cover real quick before we do wrap it up? That's all I got for tonight, man. We covered a lot of sports tonight and all different uh, – phases of sports from professional and college unless you got anything man that's all i got yeah i'm i'm slick out i feel like we've covered everything that i mean i felt like we kind of covered everything so um i'm happy also in the summer uh if anybody wants to send me some recommendations on stuff to watch uh we'll do that rusty finish ted lasso so we can talk about it please Ooh, we'll do a ted lasso yeah i'll finish that now once i've been i wanted it all to be released and get through college baseball i'm reading a couple of good books right now once i finish those ted lasso is on deck oh man you are old watch a watch a tv show <laughs> i'm just kidding i like to read too so i'm reading my uh, tv you're reading my stories man <laughs> so all right well i know it's your bedtime old man so. well, sorry tell, every, tell everybody where they can find us yeah, I got to go take my Geritol and go, go to bed. But you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Google, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to us there. The Two Bucks Sports Podcast. We are on Twitter and Instagram at the number Two Bucks Sports Podcast. Facebook, Two Bucks Sports Podcast. Give us a like, share, a review, a comment. Interact with us on social media. Tell us that you disagree that you think we're great whatever leave us comments we love to hear from and interact with our fans and as always we'll see you back here next week wednesday night hopefully for another episode drew enjoyed it buddy enjoyed it rusty we will see y'all next week bye Bye.